in today's episode of Trek in Time, we're going to be talking about the baby steps toward becoming the Federation and the importance of a handshake. I'll get into the details of what I mean by that later. That's right. We're talking about <laughs> Enterprise Season 4, Episode 13, United. Welcome to Trek in Time. This, of course, if you are a regular listener, you already know this, is a podcast in which we are watching every episode of Star Trek in chronological order, and we're also placing each episode into context in history. So we're looking at things right now in Enterprise, and we're looking at things in early 2005 because we're in season four of Enterprise, and that means the final season, the final push, we're already halfway through the series, the season, I'm sorry, we're halfway through this final season, and after that, we'll be jumping forward into Discovery, which chronologically is the next series. And who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a published author. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother, Matt. He's that Matt of Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. And Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. It's a good weekend. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm recovering a little bit from uh, some travel. I was on a whirlwind trip to Seattle from Brooklyn. I went to Seattle for a book conference. I was out there in support of my new book, The Sinister Secrets of Singe, which is coming out in June. So it was a book event where I was meeting booksellers and signing copies of the book. And it was all very exciting and a lot of fun and exhausting and I'm still feeling a little <laughs> bit like I'm actually asleep on an airplane and I'm going to wake up at any moment and think, Oh God, but <laughs> a perfect time to do a podcast, <laughs> perfect time to do a podcast. Yeah. And it'd be very coherent right. and it's going to be a great discussion. As a matter of fact, I watched this episode on the plane because science technology, the two things that, you know, drive yeah. our lives. I was able to download this episode to my phone and watch it mm -hmm. on the plane and paramount if you're listening i have a little uh -oh. tip for you download disney plus download a few episodes to your disney plus app and then watch those paramount if you do that you'll recognize their download option works a lot better than yours oh no <laughs> because watching this on my phone worked seamlessly until occasionally there would be a little bit of a video glitch and uh -huh. then the audio and video would be out of sync and I could correct it uh -huh. each and every time by stopping the replay and backing out and starting over. And then it would play seamlessly until once again, it would glitch and then it would be out of sync. So there's not something wrong with the file that it's downloaded. It's just the app is like, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that it was great it's great it was it's great. great and it was nice to be able to watch the episode on the plane it was entertaining and uh spoiler i enjoyed it so but before we get into talking about that in greater detail matt did you want to share some comments from our previous episodes yes there was on the episode 85 the observer effect there was a bunch of interesting comments one for from uh lambert rodney uh, he said that's so eerie, Matt. At the very moment, I was just thinking that The Measure of a Man would have been an extremely apt title for this episode, and whether or not that title had been used before in the Star Trek universe, you reminded me of the Next Generation episode. I got chills. Mm. You're welcome, right, Lambert. Lambert. That was my goal. Matt is watching you. 
Yes. I'm watching you. The next comment was from Daniel. He said, uh, one, I've always adored this episode. My favorite enterprise episode by a healthy margin. Two, I don't know or care how the director of this episode pronounces his name, but for me, Mike Vijar, Vijar will always be known as Mike Vijar. And I, <laughs> you know, yes. Star Trek nerds. Yes. yes I love that joke. I we got a Vijar. Yes. And the last comment was from palego 69 who um, is also a new subscriber, Sean. He's just become an ensign. So oh, thank you, good. Pale Ghost. Thank you, Pale yeah. Ghost. Yeah. I enjoyed this episode. It's my answer to the Dark Forest theory. As someone who hadn't watched the original series when I saw this, I didn't even know it was a reference to it, which is good because they're normally so ham-fisted, I would catch the reference with only passing knowledge of the original episode. So yes, I agree. And if you don't know the dark forest theory, it's basically the, the theory of there's intelligent life out there. But the reason we don't know about them is because if you do kind of broadcast that you're out here, other intelligent life will want to come and kill you because there's scarcity of resources and survival of the fittest and all that kind of stuff. It's like it's kind of a bleak view of why we don't know if anybody else is out there. It's because you don't want to be known. And there's actually a good book series called the dark forest theory. That's worth a read if you haven't read it. That's a good tip. And you've mentioned that to me before, and I still haven't checked it out, but I should. It sounds like it's right up my alley. And that noise in the background that you're hearing, that, of course, is the read alert, which means it's time for Matt to tackle the Wikipedia description. <laughs> oh, boy. Here you go. Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the Starfleet Starship Enterprise. Registration. What is it? NX-01. It's NX-01, man. In this episode, two of the crew are trapped on the Romulan drone ship while Captain Jonathan Archer, Scott Bakula, on the Enterprise attempts to gain the cooperation of the Andorians and the Tellarites in tracking down the drone. His plan is complicated when Commander Shran, Jeffrey Combs, challenges a Tellarite to a duel, causing Archer to step in. After he defeats Shran, the races work together and force the retreat of the Romulan vessel and the missing crewmen are recovered. That should also be said spoiler alert for the entire description okay <laughs> this is season four episode 13 directed by david livingston we've seen his name many many times story by manny Cotto, who is showrunner at this point and this is the story having been created by him i think is one of the things that really makes it work as well as it does because his entire mm -hmm. goal for this season, we've talked about it all season long. He was trying to build a bridge between Enterprise and the original series. And he was planting markers along the way of why are the Vulcans not the same type of Vulcans that we're familiar with? What happened to build the Federation? What about the original aliens that were all part of the Federation? Which means you can't just be talking about Vulcans. You've got to be talking about Andorians and you've got to be talking about Tellarites. The teleplay was by Judith Reeves Stevens and Garfield Reeves Stevens. We've seen them as well. The original air date was February 4th, 2005, and guest appearances include Jeffrey Combs, once again, as Commander Shran, Lee Ehrenberg as Ambassador Grahl, Brian Thompson as Admiral Valdor, Gino Salva as Senator Vrax, Kevin Brief as Narg, Kali Brink as Lieutenant Talis, J. Michael Flynn as Najil, and Scott Allen Rinker as the pilot. As I just mentioned, the original air date, February 4th, 2005. And what was the world like at that time? Well, Matt, what were you singing along to? Let me remind you, it was Let Me Love You by Mario. Do you want to sing a few bars? Good. And at the <laughs> movies, you were lining up to see Hide and Seek. Matt, quickly tell me about Hide and Seek. Off the top of your head, can you? No. 
No, it earned $21 million, and Hide and Seek is a 2005 American psychological thriller starring Robert De Niro and Dakota what? Fanning. It was directed by John Polson. Albert Hughes was initially set to direct, <laughs> making his debut as a solo director, but he left due to creative differences. This, this movie, I think, is proof, Matt, that you and I are from a parallel universe. Yes, we are definitely. I, well, you, I have you got the beard for it. Zero recollection. <laughs> I have zero recollection of this no. movie. And when I read the name, I was like, well, that sounds like it would be the title of a movie. But what movie could that possibly be? And then when you see it's Robert De Niro and Dakota Fanning, like, those are recognizable no. people. I should know this movie, but I do not. And on television, what was everybody watching? Well, sadly, they were not watching Star Trek Enterprise. This episode earned a low 2.8 million viewers. Mm. I mean, to put that it's going down, Sean, it's, it's going really, down. it's really sad to me that this episode, which is arguably one of the best of the season, has such low marks. At least that's my mm -hmm. opinion. I keep saying how much I enjoyed it. I don't know yet, Matt, how you feel about it. We'll get into that mm -hmm. in a minute. But what was Star Trek Enterprise up against? It was up against the Friday night lineup, Eight Simple Rules, getting 8 million viewers, CBS showing a Super Bowl commercials versus the world special, got 9.2 million viewers. That's right. A TV show a <laughs> built of out of commercials <laughs> that would air during the Super Bowl had 9 million viewers. <laughs> the world's upside down. The world's Black upside down. I'm from a parallel universe. What movie was that? I've never heard of it before. Meanwhile, 4 million people were watching the Bernie Mac show. Dateline NBC had 8 million viewers. And on the WB, What I Like About You and Reba were both getting about 3 million viewers. So they were either on par with or above Star Trek Enterprise. And in the news, well, there were some big events taking place. One of them here in the U.S. Same-sex marriage in the United States. The New York State Supreme Court ruled that the state's ban on same-sex marriage violated the state constitution. This decision was stayed for 30 days. But of course, this would be part of the slow march toward marriage equality that would take place in the United States. And in science, in fact, in space... There were some observations from the Arecibo radio telescope that confirmed that asteroid 2004 MN4, later named 99942 Apophis, because that rolls off the tongue so much better. It was considered at one point an impact risk, but they discovered that it will pass, it would pass Earth on April 13th, 2029, at a distance of 22,000 miles and will reach a magnitude of 3.3, meaning it will be easily visible to the naked eye from Europe, Africa, and Western Asia. So something for us to look forward to. At the time that this was discovered, they were, of course, talking about something that would be 24 years in the future. Now, well, it's, it's, only, it's only six years in the future. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so something to keep an eye out for if you're going to be in the right Europe, Africa, or Western Asia in April of 2029, keep an eye on the skies because you're going to see an asteroid that's only 22,000 miles away. Pretty cool stuff. So on to the episode. As we just heard from Matt's synopsis, this is a direct continuation from the previous episode, Babel 1, in which we saw Starfleet trying to play peacemaker between Andorians and Tellarites for a trade conference. And it 
began to fall apart when both sides appeared to have been attacked by the other, but it turns out that there is a drone ship out there and the drone ship can masquerade as anybody. And so we have Tellarites and, and we have Andorians on board the Enterprise. They're trying to get to each other to tear each other apart while Trip and Reed are on the drone ship trying to figure out how to get back to Enterprise. Meanwhile, the drone ship is just running amok, masquerading it as both sides in this conflict, and eventually even going so far in this episode as to masquerade it as the Enterprise itself and attacking a Rigelian ship. So we've talked enough, I think, about the setup, the, the Romulan yeah. drone ship, the different players. We've talked about all of that, and we had a good discussion last week about Babel 1, and I've already revealed my feelings about this episode. I enjoyed this episode. I thought this one was a lot of fun. How did you feel about this one? I like this one better than the last one. Mm. The last one, we talked about how like they made those stupid, trying to advance the plot, like why the hell the Tellerite grabbed the gun and shot Shran's mm -hmm. fiance. Well, in this episode, we find out why they had to have that happen because they wanted to have her die um, to have that dramatic stuff. Taking that aside and just looking at this specific episode, I thought it was fun with what they had. So the setup I thought was kind of fumbled, but the payoff of that fumble was actually pretty fun. It's like it felt there. Were, I wrote this down several times. A lot of this episode felt the original series to me. There was a yes. lot of melodrama and over the top music and close up shots of stuff that was happening that could have verged onto the territory of like, oh, eye rollingly bad. But I thought that it just navigated it just well enough that it was like, oh, fun Friday night, you know, just sci-fi action adventure swashbuckling. Yeah. Original series -y kind of aspect of it. And for that, I, I enjoyed it. So it's like I enjoyed the fights with Shran and the captain. I enjoyed all the stuff. So it's at a high level. I thought it was a fun, a fun romp, I guess I would say. Yeah, there were a couple of things that reminded me of the original series as well. And not always in the best of ways, but in yeah. ways that I was just like. It almost felt like I think they knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah. In being oh, yeah. a little bit on the nose with the original series. Like at the end, when Trip tells Reed, I'm going to have to put you on report. And then it turns out to be a tease. Yep. I was left with a little bit of like, I don't like that kind of setup for that kind of punchline because it's not really fun. <laughs> it's just like mm -hmm. in that moment, that kind of tease is supposed to be fun between the characters, but as far as it being fun for us as a viewer, it, it really doesn't do it for me. And in that moment, as it was happening in my head, I heard that kind of funny original series music, which would be usually at the end when McCoy would be teasing Spock and you'd hear it. Yes. yes. And it was so, like almost Gilgan's Island type music. And when that was happening on the screen, I was just like, this is really, they're very keenly aware of what they're trying to do here. I've set up a kind of joking relationship between the characters where they can tease each other in this way. It's a weird development for the show, which hasn't really had that as a main staple of it. It's been very well, professional up to this point. And now it's showing a sort of like, yeah, we're getting past the professionalism and into family. Well, on that exact scene, I actually like that scene mm -hmm. a lot because of what you just called out. It felt very bones prodding Spock 
just to make fun of them a little bit. It had that feel to me and I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed the fact that it showed the evolution of these two characters because they were very antagonistic in the beginning. They got trapped on that shuttle with each other. And ever since that moment, they've kind of bonded and have been kind of like a bromance. I don't know what you'd want to say between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of fun to show the trip is the superior officer, but he's still kind of prodding his good buddy. And it was kind of fun to see that kind of playfulness between the two of them because they are good friends. And so you'd expect friends to tease each other like that. Yeah. So it's like, in that regard, I thought that little scene was kind of nice, although it was a little, it kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> so it was, yeah. I do agree with you on that, but yeah, I, I thought it was fun. I also thought that this episode showed Manny Cotto, I have a feeling was really focused this season on saying, we've got some characters who have fallen by the wayside. We see some very strong storylines this season. We've talked about the episode where Hoshi got sick. And ends up revealing that she's a savant with not only languages, but math and is able to decrypt security procedures to get out of decon. We see her again in this one. We also see to Paul refer to the fact that she and Mayweather have come up with a plan to be able to find the drone ship. I really like the fact that it was not to Paul and Reed, not to Paul by herself, but Mayweather having a hand in figuring out how to do this. Mayweather also has a very nice moment where he says in reference to wanting to help figure out how to get the captain out of this duel that he has to be a part of. And we'll talk Mm -hmm. about like we're, we're talking about the show almost backwards at this point, but Mayweather's reference to his father's experience, what it's like when you are in a place where you don't know the rules and customs and you accidentally step into something and have to figure out how to get out of it without some kind of tragic ending this was what we wanted to see you know matt and i talked about this seasons ago mayweather as a character is unlike any character they've had in star trek he grew up in deep space on a freighter and they never really tapped into it in a very strong way they had one episode that focused on freighter life but now you have this reference to him saying like my father once had to get involved in a duel because of this exact situation of not knowing something, stepping into it and then having to figure out how to get out of it. He knew the rules Mm -hmm. at play. So he was able to do it and keep and save face. I love that Mayweather was involved in both of these things. So to step back and actually hit those plot points, as Matt mentioned, we have trans Lieutenant die. And of course this is supposed to be the result of, of the Babel one attack where the Andorians and the Tellarites go at it. And one of the Tellarites shoots her. She has been hit with a phaser fire that is set to kill. So it, it creates apparently some kind of infection and they don't go into detail about what that might mean, but it might mean something along. I, I, in my own head envisioned the way a phaser would disrupt on a molecular level might spread. It might create some sort of a spreading response that would disrupt her body's ability to repair. And she ends up dying and she dies. And Shran has a moment with her before her passing where they're showing the kind of tenderness that they have for one another. And then Shran's response at her passing is really a, a scene that stands out. I put it in the same category as some of the best Klingon scenes involving Worf. When he shows up 
in the conference room with a vial of his mm -hmm. lover's blood and says, this is something that we do. You know, something is going to go happen. Yeah. You know, and something's he happen. is talking about like, I, and he, he shows up and looks like he's about to set the room on fire and convinces Archer. Like, I only want to talk. I only want to talk. And then goes about the room and combs without chewing the scenery manages to chew the scenery. It's brilliant. His depiction of this character, this, this, this entire episode was, you could write in the notes in the margins of my notes of more Shran, please. It's like, it's like, for me, it's like, you can't have too much flocks and you can't have too much Shran. He's such a wonderful character. So dynamic, so fun. Um, he's funny. He's can be frightening, all those kind of things. And like you just highlighted the scene in the sick bay where he is just having the most wonderful tender moment with her and you can see the other side of him. It just makes you ache for the pain he must be having. Yeah. And then when he comes outside the curtain, he turns into the strand we know where he gets really stoic and you can tell he is bubbling with anger yeah. under the surface. And it's the same thing in that scene when he walks in. You know, he, he said, he says, I'm not gonna do like, I'm not gonna yeah. like fight and you know, okay, he may not be coming here to kill him, but he is going to do something yeah. that's not going to be nice. And so it's like, you knew something was going to happen. So there's that tension, the entire scene of like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's yeah. he going to do? So it was, it was so w wonderfully portrayed. I just love Jeffrey Combs so much. Yeah. I want him and all of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Apparently there was, there was a bubbling idea at one point that Shran might get his own series. And I mean, if that were to ever happen today, I would watch it. I mean, it, yeah. it would be, it would be terrific, but his, uh, the refrain for his character in this scene, when he shows up in the conference room and just keeps saying, I just wanted you to know that he yeah. repeats that line over and over again. And it is like, it's like he's driving a stake deeper and deeper into the ground. So that by the time he finally gets to the point where he's just like, I'm, invoking my right to call for a duel and like he's he's laying out these markers of like this is an andorian tradition this is an andorian tradition this is an andorian tradition hey you know what else is an andorian tradition death duel this is like he yeah. he plants these these stones to get to that point and it turns into then a no-win situation for archer if he doesn't let the duel take place the Andorians will leave. And if he does let the duel take place, it is okay, nobody so even talks about the, the possibility of the Tellarite might win the duel, but the Tellarites will leave if the, if it does take place. And the issue is that because of T'Pol and Mayweather's plan, they know they need 118 ships in order to cast a huge sensor net over the region to be able to identify the location of the drone ship. So Archer needs this to work. He needs this agreement to unite for a common cause to work. And he doesn't even know if he can get them. Like if the duel didn't even have to take place, he's still dealing with a situation where he has to get Endorians and Tellarites to be willing to share communication codes with each other. So he's like, this is already an There's impossible situation that has just yeah. become more impossible -er. Well, there's, there's, there's my favorite scene in the entire episode is tied into this whole thing. When the captain says, I'm going to be the, the surrogate in this, I'll, I'm going to fight on his behalf. Right. 
the scene where Archer is walking through, I think with T'Pol, yeah. the logic of why he has to be the one to do this yeah. is so like chef's kiss perfect. Yeah. Archer is smiling and half laughing yeah. the entire time he's walking through the logic. Yeah. Because I'm the only one the who only... can die. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter. Like, like if the Tellarite dies, then the Tellarites are out. If Shran dies, then the, the Andorans are out. If I die, Starfleet's not going to pull out. They're going to stay in. So I'm the only one that can die. It's yeah. like, like, he's like, just like, this is it. But what I love about all that is he knows that he's basically written his death certificate yeah. for this fight. And yet he's just going headlong into it. Yeah. And then it's his subordinates. It's Mayweather and Hoshi who take it upon themselves to comb through all of the details yeah. to try to find the captain and out. And I love the fact that that, that shows the, like the, the how captain Archer is that swashbuckler. He like just leaps in head first. And it's, I love the fact that it's these two subordinates who were not asked to do this. Yeah. They just did it upon themselves. It's it's it. I think you were right when you were taught, brought up the whole, they kind of had so many good characters in the show that they did nothing with and that in this season, they were trying to write that wrong. Yeah. And this is a, a perfect example of it. This is something that you would have seen in Next Generation. Yeah. Everybody. It could just be a small little 60-second scene. It makes me scene. wish that Manny Cotto had been given the keys in season two. Yes, I think that I in season two on, a, yep. on its original air night, I don't know yep. that UPN could have been saved as a network, but this show could have built an audience in a different way. If yep. this kind of storytelling where you're seeing this, these connections forged in season two... Like it, it, the possibilities are, are endless, even if it was mm -hmm. still doing stuff around going into the expanse and having to fight the Zindi and like all these different takes on, well, let's branch the show out into unknown territory as much as possible. I think even with that, Manny Cotto might have had a fresher take than Berman and Braga who just, we keep going back to the idea that they just seemed tired they seemed exhausted at this point and as matt just described the scenario of the logic of archer's sacrifice and then his crewmen being the ones to try to take that next step i loved in the scene with mayweather where he goes and is talking to hoshi and is just like it's going to be faster with two sets of eyes and it like mm -hmm. like he doesn't have the proclivity for language and everything she does but he just wants to lend a hand and when it shows them later and they've got like eight different data pads out on the table and he's like wait a minute which one is the the one that has the rules for combat and like trying to figure figure things out and they do figure out the out and it is yep. nicely done and the combat scene again original series on the nose other than using the Star Trek fight music, na, 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 na. <laughs> this is as close as you can yes. get to like an original Star Trek setup as possible. They are tied yep. to each other and they have to go at each other with in traditional Andorian, apparently ice breaking tools. And apparently that tool was designed by a prop guy based on a script note, which just simply said the Andorian weapon is terrible looking. Like it's, it was not described in any way. So he had to come up with that. And it was a, you know, it kind of looks like a handheld one hand bat left. So it's this mm -hmm. extremely aggressive looking blade and the two of them are tied to each other and have to go toe to toe and Archer holds his own 
and is merely looking for an opportunity to get the one shot in, which is he needs to incapacitate his opponent. It's not you have to kill your opponent. You just have to incapacitate him. So we discover after what would have been the commercial break that he has severed an antenna. And we see what this does immediately when Shran tries to stand up and looks like he basically has a massive inner ear infection. He doesn't have any balance. (laughs) Combs plays it beautifully with a very he is frustrated by the loss. He is not heartbroken by it. He's just frustrated because it's like it's going to take nine months for this to grow back. And yeah. and the nice moment of Flock saying, well, with some electrostimulation and massaging, it can be half that time. Like Flox is very chipper <laughs> about the whole thing. Like you've lost it, but it's going to grow back. And just think of all the ways you could help it. And I love that his response to all of this is also relief. Combs's depiction of Shran as like he didn't want to kill Archer. When Archer no. was going to present himself as the opponent, Shran was like, I'm not going to not kill you. And the fact mm-hmm. that Archer figured out a way to get the fight to end in a way that allows them both to live, I think is evident in Combs's response. Well, yeah, well, I mean, he point blank says you showed respect. Like you can see, you can tell in that scene in the, in the sick bay that, his respect for Archer has only deepened. Yeah. So it's like you can you can tell that there's a really strong friendship between the two of them in that one scene. So it allows for the Tellarites and the Andorians to now work together. We get another nice scene where it's very brief, but it's the sharing of the communication codes. And he hands them <laughs> over to Archer and Archer's response is like, you know that I've got to give these to the Tellarites. And he's like, do what you want. Like, just like, <laughs> I get it. I know. None of us are happy, (laughs) but the net is cast and they are able to start isolating the drone ship. And up to this point, Matt and I haven't even talked about what's going on in the drone ship, which is, again, feels very classic Trek. It feels like it could be Scotty and Mm -hmm. and one of the other main characters, maybe Chekhov or Sulu trapped aboard an alien vessel and their ability to figure out how to interact with the various systems of the ship. They're literally like pushing buttons blind. They're practically like, I'm going to hit these and you tell me what happens. And it reminded me of when our dad would be downstairs in the basement, trying to throw the circuit board and say, let me know when the dining room lights go off. (laughs) So they're literally punching buttons. And meanwhile, on Romulus, the, Romulan in command, the admiral in command of this program is confronted by a senator. And in a nice touch, this I thought was was uh, really well thought out. When the senator shows up, he's accompanied by two Remens. And the Remens mm-hmm. are the Romulan offshoot that was introduced in Star Trek Nemesis. Star Trek Nemesis had come out just before this season. So they reused some of the Remen prosthetic masks in this. So those are straight up right out of the movie. But effectively, that makes this the earliest depiction of Remens, even though they were one of the last of the Vulcan Romulan extended family to be introduced in Star Trek through one of the next generation films. So we see that the Admiral is kind of up against his back is against a wall. This program has to work. 
And working means that the drone ship gets back to Romulus without being captured or identified as Romulan. So the fact that the ship is currently dead in space is not great. And he and the scientist behind the development of this drone ship are not really bickering, but kind of sniping at each other with like, well, it's got to get back. And well, it's built to repair itself, so it will do it, but it's going to take some time. Meanwhile, Trip and Reed are in there pulling out wires and that's not going to help things at all. So he manages at a distance to take Reed captive. And that's where we end up with the moment that leads to Trip teasing Reed. I'm going to put you on report. Trip is effectively going to be irradiated to death. And he mm-hmm. gives Reed a command. Don't worry about me. Stay out in the bridge area. Don't come back in here with me. But Reed won't listen. And Reed puts himself in the same room as a secondary hostage. This, of course, is where the original series twist takes place. Turns out Reed has put a phaser into a control panel and is effectively going to blow the crap out of that part of the ship and <laughs> gets into this room with with Trip and is like, we better get out of here because there's the thing. And well, he, he talks in code. Yeah. He just points. He We've just points got at his to empty go <laughs> because you know what happens when uh, <laughs> it's a lot of winking, a lot of nodding, a lot of nudging and getting trip to realize like, oh, you've got a phaser on overload. We better clear out. And I love the sequence when they open up a panel and just start ripping the crap out of the stuff in that panel to get through the narrow entryway and trip says well how big of an explosion is this going to cause and reed's response is like it's going to be pretty big <laughs> we got <laughs> very effective very effective yeah. scenes between them and the romulans at a distance i thought it was a nice game of cat and mouse without there yes. being there's not a direct physical threat the romulans can do they can only threaten with making the ship toxic to them mm-hmm. and it's effective and they do all these things at a distance where it's turning the ship into a weapon against trip and Reed, but they are also able to manipulate things to make the Romulans control less effective. And they fight their way to the outer hull of the ship in order to interface with the hollow projectors, which are as trip says, they're basically giant transmitters. And if I can get a hold of one of those, I might be able to reach the enterprise. So while the net is cast, and a hundred plus ships are looking for the drone ship. The drone ship is able to communicate back to them. There is a very brief moment where it's depicted as the drone ship is used to attack a Rigelian ship and it's masquerading as the enterprise. It doesn't add up to a lot. It just lets everybody know what's being done. It's kind of like, don't forget this loaded gun is out there. I thought that entire scene was unnecessary. Yeah. I didn't need it. Yeah, it was unnecessary. I think it was done primarily to like raise the threat of like, well, will somebody move against Starfleet? But it's more to just send the message of they're not interested in starting an outright war. They just want to destabilize everybody's trust. And I don't think I agree with you. I don't think that that was fully necessary, but nonetheless, It's what happened. The drone ship we see in combat is able to do maneuvers that we have really never seen many Starfleet ships or starships in in Star Trek do at all. 
it's doing barrel rolls and twists and, and changes of direction on a dime again, largely because of a lack of a crew and no need for inertial dampeners. You wouldn't have the need for a ship to respond to control what would be happening on the inside, but it does raise some questions about physics again. Yep. This is, (laughs) this is a show that's intended to like, this is supposed to be a extremely threatening ship. It has to be a problem. This, the, the other issue I have with this point in the story is they went through all this trouble to get the Alliance formed to create this net so they can capture it, you know, figure out where it is and keep it from escaping. And they really don't do anything with that. Like yeah. they've, they've set up this whole thing. It's almost fallen apart. The captains almost died trying to hold it together and they, they just look like they stumble upon it. It's like, why did they not make an explicit scene of a Tellerite vessel has captured, you know, has a signal that they think might be the ship and have them kind of analyze and go, yes, that is it. And so then they say, let's deploy a, a group of ships. Right. And then you have a tension moment of, will they get there in time before Reed and, you know, trip get killed? It's like, they could have added just, so instead of the scene of the, the enterprise shooting the Rajelian ship, it's like they could have devoted a little time to having that network that they set up succeed. Like actually by working together, cooperatively we found this thing yeah but they never really did that it was just kind of like this what what was the point i think they did try to give a visual cue to like yes this worked as intended everybody working together when you have the drone sequence where the drone is attacking everybody and it is the enterprise cannot get a teleporter lock on trip and reed to get them off the ship and they're told like you're going to have to be clear of the ship and so reed and trip both know well that only means one thing and they open a hatch on the side of the ship and they know that they need to just jump so they jump into space which leads to some very awkward looking special effects of reed Mm -hmm. and trip both looking like they're swimming in water despite the fact that they could just be floating still Mm -hmm. i wasn't quite sure why reed looked like he was on a surfboard but anyway they go into space and i think the kind of moment that you're talking about of like oh the uniting of all these different races work is in the fact that they look behind them and they see not the enterprise they see a group of ships that are all vulcan and dorian and Telray. and these ships all go into hot pursuit after the drone when the drone goes to warp they'll shoot after it and i think that's supposed to be the moment of like oh it's a united front it's that's the but moment but i agree with you but it's not enough and they didn't it was use the idea, time the idea well was earlier that they would have this there was an episode of next generation where there was a similar thing where they had to work together and they had this like network where if this ship like poked through some kind of sensor field they mm-hmm. would know and data was in command and it was this whole thing of like mm-hmm. not trusting the android and it was like it, it the network worked they detected the ship trying to get through and everything worked that's the moment i was missing from yeah. this it's like they should have shown this it, that one visual was not enough it was like that, what happened before that it's like well wh- how did they know to get there how did how did they know where they were it's like why didn't they show this network succeeded in locating and triangulating the position of the ship and then they were deployed it's like i i didn't understand why they didn't even do that yeah. so you're talking about like a 20 second scene yeah just a conversation over comms it's like it wasn't like special effects laden it's just literally just have a, a radio conversation about we found them we're on our way yeah <laughs> the fact that they didn't even do that 
was frustrating. So we're left at the end of this episode with the drone ship shooting back toward Romulan space. It's being pursued by the Vulcan, Tellarite, and Andorian cohorts. And on Romulus, we see the pilot being disconnected from the system. And this is the first moment that we see that the pilot is not a Romulan. He is, in fact, he looks like an Andorian. It is, in fact, an Anar who is an offshoot of the Andorian race. So we see this ANR for the first time and realize, okay, there's something bigger going on with the Romulan use of this technology and who they're using in the technology and what it might mean for the Andorians. We see back in space, we see Trip and Reed thinking, well, what do we do now? The Enterprise is still there. They're brought aboard. They have their moment that we've talked about already where Trip teases Reed about having to write him up. But the episode ends with us seeing the Tellarite and Shran in communication with each other, standing there talking about how things worked out for the better. And the Tellarite even makes a statement of perhaps we shouldn't just be talking about trade negotiations. Perhaps we should be talking bigger picture, meaning the hostilities between these two people. Maybe it's time to figure out a way past all of that. And this is where the handshake that I referred to at the beginning of this episode comes into play. The importance of a handshake, this is not a method of welcome or thanks or congratulations that is native to the Tellarite. We see Mm -hmm. the first time that the Tellarites come aboard the Enterprise in the previous episode. In Babel 1, we see the Tellarite ambassador put his hand forward, obviously in his attempt to incorporate some human tradition into his greeting in the same way that Archer has tried to incorporate, I'm going to insult you to your face in order to show respect to you, the Tellarite. The Tellarite has been trying to do the same thing by offering his hand to Archer. Now we see, and I think it's a wonderful symbol for this show Mm -hmm. and for what the Federation is supposed to be, the Tellarite doesn't have a symbolic gesture to make to an Andorian that would be understood as this is my attempt to build a bridge. But the Tellarite knows that the Andorian will know what a human handshake means. So he Mm -hmm. uses a human tradition in order to bring the Andorian onto the same path. And the two of them awkwardly shake hands in front of Archer as we see the beginning of discussions. And Archer points to the table in front of them and says, why not start now? And it's a great ending for an episode, which I thought did a great job of showing where these, where this trail is going to lead. We know where it's going to get. We don't know how it's going to get there. And you want to be engaged and captivated as you're getting there. I think this episode did a good job with that. Yeah, no, I agree. It's like showing that humanity is the bridge between these species with that handshake was uh, really well done. So this episode, United, was viewed by about 2.8 million viewers. And that's more than the previous episode, but it's less than the next one. The next episode called the ANR, and we've already revealed what the ANR are. It's hard to say. Which, again, it's, (laughs) I think, compelling to think about how the episodes, when they build these three episode arcs, how they build audience, how they really do engage an audience. And it seems like people watching Babel one told their friends who then tuned in for United, who then told mm-hmm. their friends who then turned in, tuned in for the ANR. 
Yeah. If only that kind of audience building could have been taking place earlier in the series. Yep. Yep. So Matt, next time we're going to be talking about the ANR. We already know that's about the offshoot of the Andorian race. So that's something to look forward to. Before we get there, did you want to share anything about what you have coming up on your main channel? At this point, I would say there's a whole bunch of videos that I have planned around my home build and what you can do for your own home to try to be more energy efficient. And so I'm discussing things like heat pumps, which I believe should be out around the time of this episode. So be sure to check that out. As for me, if you're interested in finding out more about my books, you can check out my website, seanfarrell.com. You can also go to your local bookstore including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, or your local bookseller or library. Don't forget my next book, The Sinister Secrets of Singe, will be coming out in June, and that's for middle grade readers or just anybody who likes a good adventure with robots and pirates and a kid who doesn't know why he keeps getting into trouble. And if you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it was you found this. Go back there, leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe, share us with your friends, and if you'd like to directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show, click the Become a Supporter button. It allows you to throw some coins at our heads. We appreciate the welts, and then the podcast gets made. And on top of that, when you support us directly, you will become an ensign, which means you will automatically be subscribed to our spinoff show, Out of Time, where we talk about everything that doesn't fit within the confines of this program. We talk about other Trek, we talk about Star Wars, we talk about fantasy, horror, sci-fi, whatever catches our eye. All of those are great ways to support the show. Thank you so much for listening or watching, and we'll talk to you next time.